Thank you, Marge. Please take your Bibles uh, and turn to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, we will be reading uh, verses 6 through 15. We want to consider a, an account this evening that uh, illustrates uh, the message that we hold so dearly, and that is the message of the gospel and what Christ has done for us. So Mark chapter 15, uh, beginning at verse 6. Now at the feast, he, meaning Pilate, used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. We call this day Good Friday. Even the um, calendar app on my iPhone says that this is Good Friday. Why is this day good? What's so good about a day on which we remember the greatest atrocity ever committed in history? What's so good about the murder of the only perfect person who has ever lived? What's so good about what happened on this day about 2,000 years ago is what it means for us. On this day and as we gather here tonight, we remember the love that Jesus has for us. We remember the commitment that he had to give his life for us. We, we remember what he did in our place. There's a sense in which that should have been me on the cross. There's a sense in which that should have been you on the cross. That should have been us on the cross dying for our sins, justly receiving judgment and wrath and righteousness, a righteous judgment that we all deserve. But Jesus was our substitute. Jesus took my place. He took, Christian, your place. We sang this just a moment ago. What thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinners gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. That's why this day is good. That's why we celebrate Good Friday. 
That's why even though there is a, there is a sense of gravity and sobriety about Good Friday, that's why this is also a day of rejoicing. Because we remember what is ours because of the sacrifice of our Savior. Again, tonight we want to look at an account in the Gospel of Mark that is a a wonderful illustration of the Gospel, a, a picture of the innocent dying in place of the guilty. Now the first person that we're introduced to in this passage is a man named Pontius Pilate. We all talk about Pilate almost every Sunday night because he's in the Apostles' Creed. But who was Pilate? Pilate was, for about 10 years, the the Roman governor of Judea. He was not a particularly good man. He was known for a a very heavy-handed leadership. Uh, He was not really a very moral man. Uh, But he was the governor of Judea for about 10 years. And at this point in our story, or our account, uh, Jesus has been arrested. He's been delivered over to Pilate, and Pilate has heard the charges against Jesus. Now, this was nothing new for Pilate. Pilate heard cases all the time. Criminals would be brought before him, and, and he would have to determine whether they were innocent or whether they were guilty. He would decide whether someone would live or they would die. And and obviously, if you were brought before Pilate and you were charged with some crime and you knew that your life was on the line, you would plead your case before Pilate. You would either explain to him why you did what you did or you would just tell him, I didn't do it, I'm innocent. But interestingly, at at this point in Mark, uh, Jesus hasn't defended himself before Pilate. If you still have your Bible open and you look back at verse 4, Pilate again asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Pilate wasn't used to this. Pilate was used to to, to men or women saying that that I didn't do it. I'm, I'm innocent. But Jesus says nothing. He doesn't plead his case. He he doesn't proclaim his innocence. Children, why do you think that is? Why why does Jesus not open his mouth? Why does Jesus not defend himself against these charges? Well, very simply because Jesus knew why he had come. Jesus was on a mission, wasn't he? Jesus came for a specific purpose. He knew what his mission was. He came to do the Father's will. He knew that he had come to to die on the cross as our substitute. And he also knew what Isaiah 53 said of him, the, the passage we read earlier. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So Jesus not only knew why he had come, but Jesus also was fulfilling this prophecy. So he doesn't say anything. Now in this day, they they had a custom. and And the custom was that during the Passover feast, Pilate would release a prisoner. Now you might wonder, well, why did why did Pilate do that? Well, The Jews didn't like Pilate. The Jews, as you probably know, hated the Roman government, and there were often tensions between the Jews and the Romans. 
And so this custom probably started as a way to, to try to keep the, the Jews happy, at least in a, in a certain sense. Each year during the Passover, they could, they could ask Pilate to release a prisoner, typically, usually a, a Jewish prisoner whom the, the Jews considered to be maybe a freedom fighter against Rome, and Pilate would release that prisoner. It'd be like um, Pilate kind of throwing a bone to the Jews and saying, here, I'll I'll give you one of your own, and that would kind of placate them. That would kind of keep them happy for a year. And so that was the custom. Now, during this time, there is a a guy in prison by the name of Barabbas. Barabbas, um, he wasn't in jail because he stole a couple of Snickers bars. We are told here in verse 7 that he's in jail because of a murder that was committed in the insurrection. Children, the insurrection is, um, insurrection is basically a word that means to uh, violently attempt to overthrow the government. And so there must have been some situation where Barabbas and, and some others were involved in trying to overthrow the government. And, and most scholars believe that Barabbas was a zealot. The, the zealots were a, a first century political movement that were at times very violent. And it was a a first century group of Jews that that wanted to rise up against Rome and throw, by force, throw the Romans out of Israel. Now, we don't know the details of this insurrection. We We don't know when this took place. All we know is that there was an insurrection. During this insurrection, someone is killed, and Barabbas is found guilty, and he's thrown into prison. Now, Now, the Romans didn't take this kind of thing lightly. You try to overthrow the government, they just didn't look the other way. They, they didn't appreciate this. They didn't appreciate you trying to th- overthrow their government. And, and so things like this were typically met with the most severe of penalties, uh, death, specifically death by crucifixion, which I'm not going to go into the details, but many of you know how horrific it was to be nailed to a cross. And so here's Barabbas. He's guilty. He's he's basically on death row waiting to be executed. And in that day, you didn't sit on death row for year after year after year. You didn't appeal and reappeal. Your sentence was carried out very speedily. And so here's Barabbas waiting to be executed. And at this point, a crowd has gathered and they're wanting Pilate to do what he does every year. They're wanting him to release a prisoner. Now, typically, Pilate didn't live in Jerusalem. He lived on the Mediterranean Sea. But during the Passover, he would typically come to Jerusalem because, as you know, during the Passover, hundreds of thousands of people would come into Jerusalem. And so Pilate was concerned that, that maybe there would be some kind of political tension, maybe there'd be something going on in Jerusalem, and he needed to be there to make sure nothing happened. So Pilate's in Jerusalem. You can... You can picture him in in some kind of Roman headquarters. And this crowd is right outside. And, and, And this crowd of Jews is going, we want Pilate to release a prisoner. We want him to do what he does for us every year. And so Pilate goes out, and notice what he asks in verse 9. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Children, that means he's asking, do you want me to release Jesus? Do you want him to be the prisoner I let go free? 
Now, now why would Pilate ask this question? Well, notice the next verse, verse 10, for he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. Pilate was a lot of things, but he was no dummy. Pilate knew that the, the Jewish leaders were very jealous of Jesus. The Jewish leaders didn't like the following that Jesus had. They didn't like the influence that Jesus had. They didn't like the fact that people were listening to him. Basically, they, they viewed Jesus as a threat to their authority, a threat to their power. Now, now, Pilate doesn't really care all that much about the Jews, but he does care about his own power. And, and so he's probably thinking to weaken the power of the Jewish leaders and to make tension grow between the Jews and the Jewish leaders, I'm going to offer to release Jesus because that will, that will really anger the Jewish leaders. But the plan doesn't work. Notice verse 11, the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. The chief priests start working the crowd they start saying to the crowd, you don't want Jesus to be released. You want Barabbas to be released. You can imagine the religious leaders going, look, this guy, Jesus, he's nothing but a troublemaker. He's constantly stirring up problems. Barabbas is one of our own. Barabbas is on our side. Barabbas hates the Romans just like we hate the Romans. And the crowd listens to the Jewish leaders. The crowd sides with the Jewish leaders. And and the crowd says, we want Barabbas set free. And Pilate says, okay, well, what do you want me to do with Jesus? Verse 13 says, they cried out. It It means to shout. It means to cry out with a very loud voice. They're not quiet about it. They're not subtle about it. Together they cry out, Crucify Jesus. Kill him. Now Pilate hears this and Pilate doesn't get it. Again, Pilate's not a very good man, but he's not stupid. He, he had surely heard many, many cases before. And, and he knows that Jesus is innocent of these charges. He knows that Jesus doesn't deserve to die. And so he asks the crowd, why do you want me to put Jesus to death? What evil has he done? What does the crowd do? They cry out even louder, crucify Jesus. And so Pilate releases Barabbas. He releases this this guilty murderer. He has Jesus scourged, which means he was severely beaten, very, very painful. And he delivers Jesus over to be crucified. Now, obviously, Pilate didn't know that he was doing this. But by setting Barabbas free and crucifying Jesus, he was giving us, for all of history, a wonderful illustration of the gospel. As Jesus hung on that cross that Friday, he was taking the place of someone else. Barabbas was die, or Jesus was dying in the place of Barabbas. It was, it was Barabbas who deserved to die. But instead of Barabbas being on the cross, Barabbas has been set free. He's out of prison. No more death row, no more threat of execution. He's a free man, and Jesus dies in his place. 
We don't have to be Bible scholars to recognize that we are all Barabbas. We are all guilty of death. Jesus died on that cross in our place. He took the penalty that we deserve. And Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, God made him who knew no sin. Children, that means that that Jesus was sinless. He never committed a sin. Perfectly obeyed God every moment of his life. Paul says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What's your hope of heaven? What's your hope that that when you leave this life, you will go immediately into the presence of God and in his blessed presence you will be forever what is your hope your hope is what Jesus did for you your hope is not what you have done my hope is not what I have done our hope is what was done outside of us 2,000 years ago me very much Barabbas deserve that death but Jesus took it for me so that I would live And so as you think about this day and and as you think about eternity, your eternity, Christian, is settled not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is and because of what he did for you. You and I are Barabbas. You and I deserve to die, but we went free. We were set free because Jesus stepped up, in a sense, and died for us. Several years ago, I I watched a movie uh, entitled To End All Wars. Maybe you've seen that movie before. It's about a a Japanese prisoner of war camp where the the prisoners are building the Burma Railroad in um, World War II. One day after the prisoners are are done with all their work for the day, one of the guards goes and he counts all the shovels. That's what they did. At the end of the day, they would go count the shovels and, and make sure that the number of, of POWs and the number of shovels matched. And so one of the guards goes and he counts all the shovels and he says, one shovel is missing. And so the idea was that he thinks that one of the prisoners stashed a shovel somewhere to, to use against his captors maybe in the middle of the night or later the next day. So he counts the shovels and he says, um, let's say instead of 12 shovels, there's only 11. There's 12 of you, there's only 11 shovels. And the guard says, unless the person who did this comes forward and confesses, you're all going to die right now. Unless someone confesses to taking that shovel, I'm going to kill, we're going to kill every single one of you right here. At first, no one confesses. No one says a word. But eventually one prisoner steps forward and he says, I took the shovel. I'm guilty. I did it. And immediately the guard beats the man to death with his rifle. Right after that, they go and they recount the shovels. And they discover that their first count was wrong. 
There wasn't a missing shovel. They just miscounted all the shovels were actually there. The point is that that one of the prisoners confessed to something he didn't do so that the rest of those prisoners would live. That one man gave his life so that those other prisoners would live. This day and this table remind us that Jesus gave his life so that we would live. I was guilty. I deserved to die. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus stepped forward. And Jesus said to his father, I will go. I will go and I will die in their place so that they will live. That's why this is Good Friday. Because our Savior took our place. And you know what, Christian? There's no double jeopardy. You won't face that judgment one day because Jesus took it for you. And so remember that tonight. Remember that your Savior loves you so much that he came to this earth, took on a truly human nature. He suffered horribly, especially at the end. And he died a curse of death so that you and so that all of his people would live. He did that for us. We celebrate that tonight. We rejoice in that tonight. And we are so thankful that that is our hope tonight. That Jesus took Barabbas' place. Jesus took my place and Christian, he took yours so that you would live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this illustration of the gospel. We thank you for this illustration of the very truth that, that Jesus died in the place of the guilty. Father, we confess that we, by nature, were guilty before you. And we thank you tonight that Jesus died in our place so that we would live. As we come to the table this evening, Lord, help us to come with cheerful, glad, thankful hearts, humbled because of the great sacrifice that our Savior made for us. And may we rejoice, Lord, and give you thanks for the great gift of our salvation. We pray this 